This podcast is brought to you by DC Music Publishing. Find out more at dcmusicpublishing.co.uk. Welcome to the Behind the Music Business podcast. My name is Danny Champion. I run a music publishing company called DC Music Publishing, and this is my music business podcast that I've been doing since 2018. Um, I talk to a whole range of different people in the music business about their careers in the music business, about how they got to where they are today, about why they do it, about how they do it, and everything in between. Uh, today's episode uh, is a very special one for me. It was an opportunity for me to absolutely fanboy out. Um, today's guest, or the conversation for today's episode, is with Julie Weir, who is the current head of Music for Nations, uh, a sub-label of uh, Sony Music. Um, I know of Julie um, from her time running Visible Noise in the late 90s and into the 2000s. A whole range of my favourite bands from when I was a teenager were signed to Visible Noise. I got to talk to her about some of my favourite current bands as well. Um, Tool, Witch Fever. So it was just, it was one of those amazing opportunities to just talk about music for the love of music, as well as from this music business perspective. We talked about what it takes to break a rock band in 2022. We talked about being part of the major system and how she's managed that. And yeah, and everything, and, and loads of other bits and pieces in between. Just to make you all aware, there are a few email pings in this episode around about the 20 and 30 minute mark. Obviously these are done via Zoom and um, most of my guests, in fact all of my guests are busy working people. Um, so just bear that in mind if you hear that on the record. Um, but yes, for now, please sit back and listen to me in a conversation with Julie Weir of Music for Nations. I wanted to start by just talking, get, getting you talking about Visible Noise, probably my favourite record label when I was in my teens. Um, I, I, I was lying in bed last night, or rather this morning after feeding my daughter, and I suddenly remembered, I think I came into Visible Noise and in, interviewed for an internship or something like that. But that would have been yes. like in 2001, 2002. And then I got really yeah, sad because that's 20 oh, years ago. <laughs> yeah, God, that, that's really early days because we, we, I started it in 1998. Yeah, yeah. I remember it well. <laughs> yeah. And no, I, I'm pretty sure it would have been maybe 03, but it wouldn't have been beyond 03. Mm. So, yeah. Then... I was, honestly, the first few years, I didn't know my ass or my elbow, really. It was just kind of getting my head down and getting on with it, really. But I mean, I just, I've always wanted to work in music, I think. And I started off, I mean, if you did come in, 
Do you remember what the office was like? It looked like the only thing holding dirt. Yeah. No, I (laughs) I remember walking past the door about five or six times before I suddenly realised that it was that one. And then, yeah, yeah. yeah. but that it was just, it was such an odd memory that just suddenly pinged. Because about the same time, I think I spent a week interning at Beggars at the same, around about the same time. So it's kind of, that was my first real, I want to work in the music industry moment. And And the sublime, ridiculous, though, Beggars to Visible Noise. (laughs) It's very different. (laughs) But it was just me going, who are the bands I listen to? You know, mm. and it was, you know, honestly, it was. That's why I ended up working there. Same thing because there used to be a label. This this is well before your tender years, Danny. But <laughs> there used to be a label called Clawfist years and years and years ago, before the dawn of time. Right. But um, and it was a singles label, and it was actually run by Nick, who used to run Intoxica Records. Right. And I didn't, I didn't know all the like genealogy of it until obviously I was there. But it used to do things like like Lydia Lunch and Gallon Drunk and stuff like that. And because I was such a, a teen hipster goth, only like bands nobody had heard of, I really loved Clawfist. So I'd applied for a job there. And obviously, <laughs> me being in Cumbria, thinking Clawfist is a massive record label with people living in castles in the south of France. You know what I mean? I, I applied for that, then turned up there. And I ended up having an interview, sat on a chair that was at the, the top of the chair was at a 45 degree angle. So I was like in the interview, talking to people like that. Nice. I'm sure it was like a, a trial by fire more than anything else. And I had these two people who, who seems to become very good friends asking me what's my favourite film and what literature I read. Luckily, I was all about William Burroughs and Allen Ginsberg. Right. Idiot goth at the time. <laughs> and like sort of like our house film, which, which was perfect for them, really. So I think they were like, oh, we've got to have her. So I ended up literally, I was going to say auditioning, interviewing there in about 1994. Right. And I, I ended up getting a job as a merchandising manager for Cacophonous Records, which yep. wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. But I'd been in London. I wanted to work in the music industry. I did a master's here. I didn't want to go back to Cumbria or go back up north or anything like that. Yeah. I said, yeah, all right then. So I started off as merch manager, then ended up moving up to label manager. This is a black metal label. I'm not, I wasn't the biggest black metal fan, but now yeah. I know more than I care. <laughs> care about it and actually got a lot of really good friends still in it Excellent. but it's interesting I, mean, I think if you like music yeah there's nuance with every single genre that'll appeal exactly you know and again for me it's a people industry and i met some of the best people during that particular period and then like sort of in 1998 uh, my, my boss at the time had kind of i think realized that there's only so much scandinavian blast beat black metal <laughs> that one person can listen to in the oh, day. There's, there's there's plenty of that to go around everybody should be everybody should be partaking oh, in a bit of blast beats every now and again but, but it's, since then it's completely diversified and there's loads of like real dark ambient stuff and it's, it's very different but at that time it was like loads of incredibly posh scandinavians i used to come over and tour and i used to tour manage a lot of the bands as well excellent and it would be really weird being like sort of on a, on a bus, if you could, or in a van, when number one, you're the only girl, and number two, you're the only non-Swedish speaker. Right. And it's, really, it's a very lonely existence, that. Cold, uncomfortable and lonely. Every and now drunken. And every now and again, they're all kind of, yeah, talking Swedish, and you just kind of sat there going. Yeah. Well, most of the time, they're talking Swedish, and then at, at certain times, they'll just stop, and one of them will speak to you in English, and it's normally 
when can we have our where's the rider where we're we getting where are the beers you know, something about <laughs> we want. yeah exactly where's the beers yeah it's in, it's exactly. interesting what one of the things that i've and we'll kind of we'll talk loads and loads and loads about what you're up to at the moment and all that sort of stuff but one of the things that i really like that you've come about especially independent labels at the moment and maybe I, it's probably because of streaming that's done this is that this idea that you don't have to be this one one trick pony at all you know it's not if, if you're if you're because because the fans don't just listen to one type of music anymore mm. you know when i was listening to all the bands on visible noise and things like that i had a finite amount of money to go out and buy cds whereas now mm. you just go on to spotify and then you might listen to a little bit of this a little bit of that and i think yes there's there's issues within the business side of that when it comes to the finances and where the money goes and how it flows through but i think from a purely discoverability uh nature oh, and for the fans you can just you know listen you know my my seven-year-old daughter loves pop music but also loves baby metal um oh wow <laughs> which is amazing i mean she i think she's probably stops at baby metal because when i played her a mm. bunch of the bands that i'm working with at the moment she didn't quite get them and if it goes <laughs> if it goes too heavy then she just goes <laughs> but then my 10 month old she's listening to whatever i want to listen to at the moment and yeah. what were we listening to recently that she really liked that i put on was it eskimo cool boy or we buttered the bread with butter or something along those lines you know we were having a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a laugh and yeah she's she just starts to boogie along with it it's great fun so I'm I'm fascinated about what they're going to be into once they both hit their teens in you know many many years to come and what kind of what music fans are listening to because just the way that music fans engage with music is so different now than it was. Well, was I, I completely agree, and I mean, there's there's a certain part of me that's just really glad that I'm not growing up now because I think that magazines have fallen by the wayside, yeah. and and just being able to like sort of pick and choose your own taste makers. Has kind of gone. I mean, tastemakers now are people on TikTok, which are, I mean, some people are great, don't get me wrong. And there's like sort of minor shit in TikTok that's absolutely fantastic. But if they're like sort of the current cultural climate is somebody dancing around in their garden to someone else's song and getting 10 million views for it, it's insane. I mean, it, it, I just find it, I just find it a little bit culturally bereft, really. But I mean, as I said, there's pockets of it that are really important. But when I was growing up, it was like, like you said, I used to have to go to Carlisle. I'm from work at a town in Cumbria called Workington. And I used to have to get on the train for 45 minutes to go to Carlisle to walk up into the centre of the city from the train station, which is about another 20 minutes, mm -hmm. to go to a, a shop called Pink Panther Records, where I would have ordered a record that I would want to pick up. And it, I remember vividly going in there and buying Bella Lugosi's Dead on Blue Vinyl 12-inch. Nice. <laughs> which I was... I, I, it me in my mum and dad's loft, I think, that. Okay. But... But those kind of things where you've got to really invest in something and you become part of a tribe and it's like sort of you know like if, if the metalheads go against the goths go against the mods go against the rockabilly kids it's just it felt fun then and now <laughs> it's like if you if you click on amazon or hot topic you can be anyone you want to be within 24 hours you don't even have to go out and rob your dad's shirt uh, and write on it you can buy anything you want it's almost like cosplay for music
from running a label through the the late 90s into the early noughties and and now with broadly the same focus i.e you know working with mm. bands of, of a particular genre what is what are the big noticeable differences that you're having to deal with now than that that you weren't and is, is it to do with 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 what you just said that kind of that the transience of the of the audience i think i think it's partly that i think it's to do with finance it's the way the media is working but we're having a transient audience i mean i do see it as both a benefit and a bit of a curse i'm saying from my personal point of view that mm -hmm. i want it to be a terrible goth with pointy shoes and fangs and blue hair you know that's where i want it to be <laughs> and and i managed to be that till i was about 30. but uh strangely it wasn't a phase mum. that's all i'm saying but um <clears throat> but i think i think that's part of it and i think kids can listen to a lot more stuff which is brilliant for discoverability and it's brilliant for new artists but it's cutting through the noise to get to the good ones that mm -hmm. I find really difficult okay because technology's advanced so much that anybody can create an album in the bedroom if they've got the knowledge and they've got some got a decent laptop and some plugins you know anybody can do it and yeah. anybody can upload it hence like the whole SoundCloud scene and stuff like that which is brilliant it's great for it's great for creation and it's also it's great for creation, but it's not great for curation. Right. You know, because there's almost like sort of no discernibility of, of, of quality. But I also believe people being able to like sort of disseminate what they're creating is a great thing. But I think it also puts a false pressure on the industry where there's the kind of school of thought that's like anybody can do it and anybody can make it because you can make it to a certain stage, especially with things like the wonderful band camp which thanks to Bandcamp Fridays, I have a pile of vinyl in the corner of this room, <laughs> which has still not been played, but is a very, very beautiful artifact. Yes, I say. yes, I think I've, I, <laughs> I went down that road and, and was about to go down that road again recently and then went, no, I've got a tax bill to pay instead. Yeah, well, no, that is the same thing. I've got like, I need to get a new bathroom is, is my thing. So same thing, though. Same thing. <laughs> but, um, but, but I also think people being able to listen to more stuff makes people a, very, a more rounded a more rounded individual, but I also think that the move, the move from the album as a body of work to, to single tracks, I find it a very uncomfortable economy, I'll right. be honest. I understand it because years ago, if if you did this kind of thing, I mean, I'd be taping off the radio when I was like sort of 10 or 11, you know what I mean? Because I couldn't afford, so you'd get like, you know, when Susie and the Banshees are in the top 10 or something. Yeah. So, I mean, I suppose it's only the, a kind of a digital version of that yeah. really so i was building my own playlist on cassette but I, I do think that for a lot of artists who work in the genres i work in they create an album as a body of music like i mean we work with tool for instance and i mean i have to say props to adele for saying that like so she, she'd stop that kind of stuff happening because her body of work is very important as well but it takes someone like adele to say it yeah, if yeah. tool said something even though they <laughs> they have a, a ridiculously rabid fan base scary yeah well that, I, that, yeah. That I I would I would arguably say that Tool are my favorite kind of ever all-time favorite band ever kind of thing and, and yeah and I you know as part of what I do I do lecturing and and tutoring at university level and hmm. I've I've recently over the past couple of years especially through the pandemic and especially when Tool released Fear Inoculum it was a really interesting case study debate that we mm. had because I genuinely wasn't sure whether they would even bother putting their stuff onto Spotify when they did. 
Well, that was part of the thing I was tasked with when I started at MFN. That was in my label proposal. So we worked very close with, with them to do that. And it was a five-year <laughs> five run at getting that done. But I mean, but the thing is, I, I kind of, <clears throat> I kind of agree with them because yeah. those albums built to be listened to, number one, in order, and number two, in, en- in its entirety. Mm-hmm. Though the amount of playbacks that we did on Fear Inoculum, I'll be really honest, as soon as you hear the symbols at the beginning where it goes, it strikes terror into me because <laughs> I listened to that album probably about 300 times in, in the, the, the space of a week because we had to do playbacks because we weren't allowed to send music to people. Right. Wow. But, but that's, that is a really interesting case study. And that shows the power of, and I hate using the word heritage artists, but if people want something, they will wait. And I mean, it, it goes back to that whole, when they were saying to us, there's going to be one format on Fear Inoculum and it's going to be a CD to which we're like, well, and it's going to have a TV screen in it. What should we go on and what? And to which it's going to retail in the UK, 80 pounds, excuse me. Yeah. But it worked. You know, the people who are the super fans bought it. We came back with like a second life version that was 45 pounds, still Life's ludicrous, but people bought it. And 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 honestly, it, it, the streaming went crazy. Mm, so yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't say that they don't know what they're doing. You know what I mean? And also, they, they do so much touring in the US. Obviously, when there wasn't a weird plague out there, but yeah. they do so much touring. Really, they don't need to release more records because they get paid so well. Mm. Because their shows are—it's almost like a, a flaming religious event. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen them so many times now in, on like sort of the last couple of years. And I, and I went over to see them in, God, San Bernardino Amphitheatre. Right. As, as like sort of, at, I had to take some American people to see them. And I have to say, it was it was one of the scariest gigs I've ever been to because I have never been anywhere so hot with no, I'm, I'm Northern, right? I'm, I'm blue, not even white, I'm blue. You look at my veins, you just blue. And this place was like sort of a buff ball, like an hour and a half outside LA with no shade. And it was like about 42 degrees. It was so, so hot. So I was just like darting between like, they had like these little like gazebos set up that had like sort of sprinklers in them. <laughs> so I just used to dart. And as soon as you ran from one to the other, you'd just steam because wow. the water would just come off. It's horrendous. Wow. But seeing them in front of a really interesting US crowd blew my mind and this just shows you like sort of the, the balance of it all it's almost got like a, the sabbath-esque feel with it right because it would be like dads who are a bit older than me <clears throat> taking their kids and the kids were taking the little kids because it's a day out so it's like three generations of a family yeah. you know dad going you listen to son the middle son going yeah get it dad. And the baby one going what the hell are you doing it's quite hot <laughs> you know yeah, but but, but, but it, the support band things like like the Melvins and Clutch and things like that it was really good. How are you finding it with kind of a major behind you? It's. I found it quite an easy transition, and I know it doesn't generally work like that for a lot of people. But when when I was doing Visible Noise, I used to um, we licensed Lost Profits yep. to them anyway, so I've worked with them closely on that. I worked with Bullet for My Valentine, which yep. came back to us. I guess you've, you've um, worked with Bringing the Horizon pretty much on, throughout. Well, I, I yeah, yeah, I signed Bringing the Horizon, and I I sold yeah. them to Sony actually because we were on yeah. the last record anyway. 
And then I consulted on bands like Nothing But Thieves, Early Doors, Metro Station, and um, a band called Go Audio that were around ages ago, yeah. a really amazing pop band that Nick Raphael and Joe Charrington signed. But I mean, it was, it, for me, it's been quite easy. I mean, being in the office is the weird one for me because I'm used to, well, you went to the offices, working in a tiny office where there'll be no loo rolls. Somebody will use the last bit of the coffee. Somebody will put the, the milk carton back in with no milk in, which just makes me pathologically <laughs> mad. You know, but being in the office is really good. I suppose if, if there's any criticism I've got, it's because there's so many great people in the building. If I am in the office, I spend more time talking to people when I'm in because it, it's rare that we'd seen anybody yeah. over the last two years that I come back and I'm, I'm way behind on my work. So I, I actually do get a lot more done from home at the moment. We're, we're going back in the office okay. in a couple of weeks, and, but I think only two days, <clears throat> which is perfect because it means you get to see people, not feel as like yeah. as isolated. Not that I'm isolated, I mean, but, but I mean, I really, really enjoy it. And I mean, I have to say that I doff my cap in a very, very Victorian style to anybody who is still running an independent label now, because I, I was there during the glory years, I think, and now it's harder than it's ever been. I mean, finding artists, developing artists, the media's changed completely, like sort of the rock press in the UK is just dribbling away. So in some cases, the journalism isn't as great. I mean, with, with certain magazines are absolutely fantastic, but I, I do find it a lot harder. I mean, I would say it used to take about three years to break a band. I would say you're up to about five, six now. And when you say to break a band, what does what what in your head equates? What 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 does it mean when you say right that band is broken now? What do you have to achieve? <laughs> um, I would say to get them to a level of of recognition and. And I mean, I mean, honestly, possibly not even sustainability off their own income mm. because it's tricky. You know, I mean, let's face it, even if you do incredibly well at streaming, it's not necessarily no, going to pay the bills. You know, but I would say to, to get a band to a level where you could get them arrested almost, you know, for people to see that they're actually like sort of a, right. a force to be reckoned with, not necessarily making money mm. or making profit. And are you... Which is depressing because I, I was I, I had a look at the the Music for Nations current roster and you've kind of got quite a nice balance between the dirty word of heritage acts but also newer <laughs> newer bands Witch Fever Blanket Hot Milk those guys so are you are you finding that the the tools and the kill switches enable you guys to really hammer and you know, working with with the newer with the newer acts, you you have to kind of find a balance in there. It's by design. I mean, the majority of bands like I mean, Tool assigned to RCA in the US, but we work them for the UK. And again, it was by design yeah. when I first came in. Um, Kill Switch, we get on very well with their management team. I'll be honest with Kill Switch, <clears throat> it's more of a we're here as a I don't know a right. label services okay. more than anything. So we just do everything from the UK. We don't have a terrible lot of contact with the bands. Same with when we were doing them on a mar, same kind of thing. It's a great relationship, but we don't work with them as hands-on as we work right. with our own artists. But working with things like Berry Tomorrow, we've, we've took them to like over half a million uh, monthly listeners on, mm -hmm. on Spotify. And we've got like sort of stuff going on with them at the moment that I will not mention because I'll get <laughs> lynched and I nearly said it then. But um, I work with them. And then Blanket are just like a little pet project from Black Bull. It, it harks back to Visible Noise, that to me really, because it's it sounds like celestial cave-in okay. all that kind of yeah, stuff which it. i'm a huge fan of and it's a tiny little band from blackpool and it's not a huge deal for us but i really like the music and they're incredibly creative and 
and they're, they're kind of a self-contained wee hub that they all do their own artwork you know they'll like sort of create their own videos so it's 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 a pleasure to work with actually we just that's that's a hard one at the moment though because that's fine i'm finding that quite hard to break because it, it's getting the touring right. for them really they yeah, need to well, be playing I, live um, I, which, I, I i to kind of peek behind the curtain a little bit on my side of things i i have I did reach out to the guys in Blanket and Megan, their man manager, because I would be really keen to uh, work with them from a publishing perspective. So I was, I'm kind of, I've, I'm starting down that road of yeah. what are you guys after in this space and whether or not it's something that I can help out with. Because, um, yeah, as, as I, I'm still oh, waiting, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting with, with bait breath for my, my, blanket vinyl to appear they're one of my one of my favorite bands of of last year yeah i was that's right up my cup oh, fantastic. We've got, we've got in the office. so when i get back in i'll send you some bits and bobs in the office awesome. making a note there damning <laughs> and so i suppose for, for the, the younger bands as well which fever from manchester lgbtqi little um band. i used to teach alex you are kidding me. Were you at BIM? Yeah. <laughs> now, I love these lot. These are an absolute unicorn of a band. And mm -hmm. they supported Idols on Monday night. And, I mean, there's a lot. Yeah, I was going to ask oh, how that was. God. You should have shouted me. You should have come down, actually. It was a good show. But um, It's tricky from Bristol. Oh, yeah. Are you in Bristol? There you go. Sorry. I am in Bristol, yes. Well, you know. So, so... Yeah, so as as soon as as any of those acts are coming through Bristol, I will be making sure that I, I get some tickets. <laughs> oh well, do give me a shout. But um, but I always find when you're working with a young up and coming band, when they get given Brixton Academy stage, everybody goes, "It'll be brilliant because we'll be all over the shop on the stage and do that." And then they get on the stage and they go, "Ooh," and they don't move <laughs> and they look at the feet. But they awesome. were absolutely brilliant. That they. They're such a force of nature, and there's four of them, four completely different characters. Alex is just, you think she'd take your head off, you know what I mean? She's the perfect, like, bassist. Then you've got our rhythm section, who are coming on leaps and bounds, um, confidence-wise. <clears throat> and then you've got little Amy, tiny little Amy, who's the singer that makes so much noise. And bearing in mind, this is probably one of the first shows back after mm -hmm. COVID for a lot of people, and it's in Brixton Academy. It's not like like the Shacklewell Arms or something. But she was over the barrier and awesome. into the crowd. And I think the crowd just she, didn't yeah, know what she's to she's a rock do. star. So I was, I was so proud of her. She's unbelievable. Unbelievable. She's quite an anxious little personality. But that performance, you know, when you see something happen, you see almost like a veil yeah. lifted on someone. That was definitely a defining point in her career. Something happened that night. and I, 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 Awesome. It was no, brilliant. It's 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 great to see that because I mean I taught Alex music publishing in her second mm. year at BIM, so that was probably one two. That's probably four years ago, and I remember yeah. the kind of the really early early things. And you kind of and I was looking at this going, this is, I mean, this is an art project as, as much as it is is music. And it's yeah. it's I love 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 seeing it when bands like that when you see them on on a on a major record company's website. It's awesome. So, so awesome to see. Well, I, I kind of like that as well, because when when I first came into Sony and I'd been offered the job, loads of people were like, 
oh, you're selling out. You've done this for so long as an independent, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going, yes, I've done it so long as an independent. <laughs> and now I want to have some money to put behind some of these bands. Well, I'm also, I, I turned 50 this year. And I mean, again, doffing my cap to like people who run independents. I spent like sort of 25 years doing 18 hour days on my own, right? Running everyone's street teams, dealing with the states, dealing with all the international distributors. So nobody can tell me <laughs> that I haven't earned my stripes and put the work in. Do you know what I mean? I, I even just took the money and run. I didn't even take the money and walk. I just went in there. <laughs> you know what I mean? I didn't do anything. Uh, but I think I, I've been very lucky in the fact that Sony's company culture is very um, nurturing for creatives okay. and it's really helpful. And there's always people in the building that will know more than you do <clears throat> about certain things. Like I'm, I'm the, the resident rock expert. Honestly, you'd think I was like, I don't know, like an alien or something. We do certain things that people are like, we don't even know what this is. And I'm like, well, it's just not pop, is it? <laughs> but, but that means that we get projects that come to us that other people, that other people don't understand. Yeah. And we work very well and we work very differently. So we're, we're really known for thinking outside the box in the building. Okay. But I think going in there is like, oh, they're going to assimilate you. They're going to knock the corners off, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going, well, I'll just have to see what it's like. Do you know what I mean? And literally we got in there. <laughs> I got walked around the building once and then it was, there you go, get on with it. And I was like, oh, oh okay. So trying to discover all of these systems, the systems for systems, mm -hmm. they all hate me. They lock me out about once a week. There's meetings for meetings. My diary is anxiety-inducingly full, but I love it and I love the people. I love my team who are really fantastic people as well. Mm. And there's some incredibly talented people in that building. We have a, um, a creative team called Fourth Floor who are, um, it's kind of a, a full service, video, art, photography, right. graphics, 3D rendering, you name it, it's there. And that team are some of the most talented people I've ever met in the music industry. We work with a video director called Lawrence Warder, and he can distill a video treatment out of the craziest artist conversation you could ever imagine. Awesome. We, we had one this week, actually, and myself and, and Tom, who, who works with me on marketing, sat on this call, and we both got off the call and went, I don't really know what just happened. And I spoke to Lawrence. He's like, yeah, I'll have a treatment to you within a couple of days. And we're like... Sweet. Okay, fantastic. That's amazing because <laughs> he gets it. He's worked with this band before. But to have somebody like that that you can lean on so you don't have to just go to like Black Dog or Ridley Scott Associates or, or an other mm -hmm. video company that are going to charge you a lot of money to do something that's maybe not yours because it's part of the company. It's invested in everyone to make it a success, you know, and it, it's brilliant. And they create such amazing art. It's, it's unbelievable. I was going to ask how, I guess, how the, the infrastructure at Sony works, because obviously there's lots and lots of labels like yourselves, and then there's mm -hmm. lots and lots of kind of departments that you can all tap into. So how much are you at Music for Nations kind of doing as a Music for Nations unit, and then how much is kind of given over to you know, the, the art department or the brand partnerships department, for example, or are you doing kind of okay. most of it yourselves? We, we do, because of the nature of, of our artists, we do specialise in stuff. So I would say we still do probably 70% of everything ourselves, right. but then we've got people like 
<clears throat> the legal team, obviously, which is an absolute breath of fresh air. Our our BA person is like he looks like Jack Nicholson, nice. and I wouldn't mess with him. He's absolutely brilliant, but he's he's a brilliant legal person. But I've done contract negotiation myself for like twenty five years before I went into the building. But I've 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 still learnt more from him after that amount of time. So I mean, the, the bonus of it all as well is I, I learn every day, mm-hmm. and I'd stop doing that visible noise because I was just showing everyone else how to do everything. So it's great for me and for my own sanity. Mm-hmm. We have. Um, a digital marketing and audience development department, which means that we pitch into them and they book all our digital for us. And then we get reports back so we can always see what's actually happening with the money that we're spending so we can move it around, stop it, put more in, yep. wherever we need to do. So that, that's a breath of fresh air. There's an insights department, which is, for me, the secret weapon because it's all of the stats and stuff that you'd really like to know, but how do you how do you dredge them up? You know, I mean, we've got people looking at like sort of, social media heat maps, artist heat maps, what's going on streaming, what's going on on TikTok all the time. And it's absolutely, it's staggering the amount of data that's pulled out. It's, it's unbelievable. Cool. And I mean, obviously there's the art department, we've got the sync team, we've got a merch company that sits inside the building now called Contraband. So it's very, it's very full service. But again, because we're building artists up, we will do the majority of it. And I mean, for things like brand partnerships, we have a, a really great brand partnerships team there as well. That'll be Andrea and Precious, they're lovely. But we do a lot of stuff ourselves because a lot of people come direct to us. Right. Yeah, yeah. They'll advise on it as well because, I mean, sometimes the contractual stuff needs to be, because I don't I don't know about that. I just know yeah, about yeah. what I would say yes to as a deal for visible <laughs> noise. But sometimes it isn't what they would say it's yes to. It's so right. You know. Do you also hold a little bit of autonomy in your own team? So if we say something like sync, uh, which is where my background is, you know, yeah. I, Sony, Sony has a lot of artists. And oh yeah, and the the team. I, I'm I'm guessing it's still Ian and Steve and those guys over at the in the sync team at, at Sony. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you can't you do you sometimes think that your artist might be not thought about quite as often as some of the other ones because of the nature of, of the genre. So can you step in? Can you can you push certain things if you think it's worth it? I mean, again, we're kind of lucky because we've got great relationships in the building. There's two people in the sync team, Rebecca and Lewis, who are really great and they do understand our stuff. And we've had some really decent syncs out of them. Cool. And as long as we keep on like reminding them we're here. I mean, I can't even imagine how many syncs they just deal with on, oh. a, on a monthly basis. Uh, yeah. I mean. And I mean, for us, when it's like a smaller sink and they're doing like a six-figure sink with Dragon Ball Man or something like that, you know, I mean, I completely understand that. But we've done stuff on our own terms as well because when I was running Visible Noise, I ran Visible Noise parallel with a film production company called Wild Bunch. Right. So I used to do a lot of music placement for Wild Bunch. So I also have a sync background and really good... Yeah. <laughs> really good contacts with ad agencies cool. and gaming companies. So, I mean, we, we've done a lot of stuff with things like that. And then, bizarrely, when I had left Visible Noise to, to go to Sony, Alan, my old business partner, first boss, then business partner, he's still running Wild Bunch now. So we did a film score for a film called The Owners, right. which had Maisie Williams in. It's like um, a home invasion, psychological horror. Good film, actually. Yeah. Sylvester McCoy was one of the characters as well. And we, we did a film score from start to finish with one of our artists. It wasn't a massive payout because it was an indie film. Yeah. But it was a really good learning learning experience for the artist, I think. But it but, but I like stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, this, this is my lifeblood. I mean, 
because of doing in, independent work where nobody says no this isn't what you do get back in your lane i've got a really broad world view on music and i mean i like bringing culture into the everyday like sort of record label stuff so i love it when people go oh there's a comic book here or let's do this for a tv ad or there's a fashion magazine that wants to do x or there's you know there's a gaming company that wants to do y which is some, something that is happening kind of now with, with the project inside um inside fourth floor which is great i mean i can't mention the project yeah, yeah. it's still in its infancy but I mean, but it's the kind of stuff that makes a lot of sense to us. I mean, with Wardruna, for instance, we did um, Assassin's Creed Valhalla via management, of course. Yeah. But that means we've got a great relationship with Activision Blizzard, who are now about to be bought by Microsoft. Right. And so it's, it's, it's great, that kind of stuff. And it's, it, it, it sounds like you've kind of got the best of both worlds in in the current current role. You're kind of, you're, you're within the major ecosystem but you're allowed to bring your independent background and independent mind and spirit into how you work with all the artists. So you kind of have Absolutely. have the best of both worlds. How are you finding like the the scene at the moment in the UK for kind of heavy guitar based music? Do you think it's it's going in a in a positive direction? Bearing in mind that I guess it, it's not the time at the moment for well, I don't know, is it the time for guitar guitar music? I think it, it, it's yeah. never not the time for guitar music, but I completely agree. I mean, I always think there's like sort of the cycles of creativity and the cycles of flux in music, and especially in the genre that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And I am finding it a little bit at the moment. I mean, we're always on the lookout for new artists, and bizarrely, when we signed Hot Milk and, and Witch Fever, we signed them within six months of each other. They're both from Manchester. My spiritual home. I went to university there. I love Manchester, but but I, I do find it as, a, as it's a very creative town. Yeah. But I do find that the pockets of talent are definitely outside London, mm -hmm. and I think London is a little bit. I mean, it's a sweeping generalisation. I'll get chinned by someone walking down the street now, but I do find London a little bit spoiled sometimes for artists it's, because they've got access to so many things down here. It's a it's a strange place because it it's kind of. You know, I, I'm not from London, but I, I lived there for a better part of a decade whilst I was at Sony ATV and Peer Music and mm. Sound Lounge and all that sort of yeah. stuff. <clears throat> but I was never going to stay there because I'm not from, mm. not from there. And moving to Bristol and then spending better part of five years bouncing between Bristol and Manchester, I found the type of city mm. that I like, which was Br Bristol and Manchester, that very culturally relevant got their own got yeah. their own kind of personality to them but aren't this giant kind of thing that or they, they're not their mm. own thing that you can tell that they are cities in a country whereas london is its own thing um yeah london's like a floating island isn't yeah it, really? and and from a music perspective it, it's like you go there for the music industry you go there to to be in front of the music industry but you go everywhere yeah. else to be in front of your audience. Does that make any yeah. sense at all? Yeah, I would completely agree. And I mean, I love I loved Manchester and Leeds for that particular reason. Manchester, I loved because I found my people. That's when I had big blue air fangs, all that kind of stuff. And I, I really loved it. And obviously it's changed, but there's still all these insane pockets of music and scenes. And Manchester seems to be the epitome of like 
nurturing and like sort of birthing all of these really amazing alternative scenes. Mm -hmm. Leeds a bit as well. Leeds has always been like sort of one of the centres of the town music for for the UK for me. Because basically if you if you walk through Leeds six on a Sunday morning, you just think, I'm really glad I don't live next door to you because it's somebody doing like sort of a drum check at like 10 to 10 <laughs> on a Sunday morning where you think, and I would have put you into through by now. <laughs> I'd be like, this is Sunday morning. What's wrong with you? <laughs> but I mean, well, those towns, and I mean, obviously I've got a great affinity with Cardiff as well. And I, and I do think it's places that have got a really strong working class background where people desperately want to be involved with culture and they see it in the, the big city, mm-hmm. but they can't afford to move to the big city. So they've got that innate fight built in them and they want to live, but they want to create something so desperately that they will not let it go. Mm-hmm. And it's like sort of, it's like a, like a Jack Russell Terrier. They get their teeth into something and they will make it if it kills them. And that's the people that you find in like Leeds, Manchester, even Birmingham, Glasgow as well. Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's loads. Of, I went to, I hung out with the guys in Strange Bones a few days ago. I just went to see oh, them. Oh, yeah, love them. Yeah, Bob, um, uh, came, they were down here. So I got in touch with a, their booking agent, mate of mine. And mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was, fun to see them and they were saying how much of a great relationship they have with the guys with you know glasgow is kind of their spiritual home they were really bummed out that they had to cancel the show because of the the covid rules i think up in glasgow um so yeah so all of those places and he was actually he said that bristol wasn't really the you know a place that that they got the same sort of vibes back from uh, than, Interesting, but, because which love Bristol, right? But the, his the, the show that they did was 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 great. It was it was sold out. It you know it was it, mm. it was one of the best shows that I've been to for for quite some time. Um, so it'd I be nice to, it'd be nice to think that 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 viewpoint has changed now. But yeah, yeah. so so do you think that the you know the the rock alternative metal scene is is it's doing well in the UK at the moment, that there's some really interesting stuff appearing. Yeah, I think, I think there is some stuff coming through. But I also think there's some stuff that's getting a lot of press that maybe isn't isn't as good musically as it could be. I'm not going to mention the bands, but, but I, I do think there's, there's a lot of really positive messaging. There's a lot of diversity and inclusion coming through, which is what I am really enjoying. Mm-hmm. And I mean, <clears throat> I think I've, I've actually been on on paper previously saying I, I'm not a mad fan of, of female vocals. Right. And and I haven't been, but then I think it's just I've realised that it wasn't the right bands because Hot Milk is outstanding. Hannah is an absolute rock star. And Amy in Witch Fever is an unbelievable force of nature. So yeah. it's it's definitely to do with personality, not to do with the gender. Yeah. But um which is and it's terrible being a woman myself as well. But I mean I, I do think in the industry that there has been an inherent lack of female talent rising unless it's like sort of something that's a bit and i mean i'm not i i do love pop music but i think a lot of the stuff that's coming through now is it's just not for me mm-hmm. you know i mean i, I love a bit of uh, love a bit of uh, miley cyrus because i think she's quite challenging as a pop artist and right. i think her identity is quite fluid as well yeah but, i mean there's a, there's a lot of other yeah. that comes through that i don't really particularly like and i could I mean, I wouldn't, if I had kids, I wouldn't want my daughters listening to it, do you know? <laughs> but then again, I wouldn't want them listening to loads of pop either. We talked about kind of 
signing and finding mm. out what what are you looking for you know when when you when you jumped on a band like witch fever what was it was it just them and seeing them live and you went they've got something that i want to work with or that we should work with or what was it that meant that you were gonna give them a give them a record deal well the, the story of the first time i'd seen which fever is actually quite hilarious because i'd been down to um <laughs> I'd been down to the O2 Arena with my friend Charlie, and it was um, Razorlight being supported by the Kaiser Chiefs. Right. Charlie's company books Razorlight. I love the Kaiser Chiefs. Leeds lads, great pop band. Ricky's a complete superstar. Mm -hmm. So we'd been to see them, and then we, we, we got in a cab straight from the O2 Arena to what I can describe as, in brackets, the last time they were seen on Crime Watch. So it's kind of, if we hadn't got the cab, we'd have never made it there because honestly, it was like a, an archway surrounded by scaffolding in like Bow or somewhere like right. that. And he's like, hi, we thought we were going to get murdered. And the, the, the cab just kicked us out in the middle of the street. And we're like, no idea. And if it wasn't for somebody coming out from behind this like gate, it wasn't even a gate. It's like sort of, you know, the, the stuff you have up around a festival inside right. breeze blocks. <laughs> Like that, as in do not go in there. Yeah. If it wasn't for someone coming out, we'd have never found it. So we went in, it's a rehearsal room. One pound for a shot of Sambuca, I am in. Nice. Um, and getting it was a great selection, a great mishmash of people waiting for which favour to come on. I mean, it was probably about maybe 60 people and it was packed, it was tiny, the place. And it was a mixture of, mixture of like sort of, should I say preferences, a mixture of people, a mixture of ages. It was just absolutely unbelievable. And I watched them that night. They didn't know who we were yeah. or anything. Me and Charlie at the back. And I was absolutely blown away. And bless them, I managed to speak to them for five minutes after they'd played. And then they were running to get the mega bus home. And this is about two o'clock in the morning. So number one, I was quite endeared to them because it's like you really are earning your stripes right now and number two i was blown away by that performance right and so a few times after that and i just wanted to sign them right away because they were doing something that i hadn't seen since like sort of the energy and aggression of punk in the 70s uh the, the confidence the messaging the actual the style they look like a they look like a gang yeah. and, and i do think that's of things now that bands don't look like bands they look like there's been an explosion in top shop or something like that there's nothing that's again it, there's nothing that says we are who we are right so i mean for me for an artist now i, I want somebody who's in a genre of one somebody who's not scared of doing that because a lot of people are like oh maybe we should sound like this so they immediately try and sound like someone else and it's like why would you need the B-list version of the artist that's incredibly successful. I just don't see the point in that. I just don't see why why people actually try and emulate their their favourites. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it's all great listening to them, but don't be them. Be yourself. But but also being able to tell a story, being able to have an authentic approach, and and being like being human. You know, mm -hmm. and and also the creativity of like is just it's unbelievable. Amy is full of ideas. And I mean, <clears throat> the, the other like sort of members of the band, Amy and Alex were the, were the vocal ones to start with, but now everybody's got more of the confidence in the meetings that we're in and stuff now is that everybody's talking. Yeah. And it's a pleasure to talk to them about creative. It's a pleasure to talk to them about music. I mean, the the, the record, the, the album's been delivered. Awesome. And the album is absolutely outstanding because you can actually see the progress that they've made from the catalogue that we had 
to the to the EP that we've released, to the album, to mm-hmm. the body of work that I would say is the album that's been delivered, because they've almost they've grown up musically. Yeah, and I mean the influences in there that range from things like Slow Dive through to like Sabbath, through to the Cocteau Twins, through to it's 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 unbelievable, really unbelievable. Through to X, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> the Germs. It's just it's it's absolutely brilliant, but. I find them a unicorn of a band because they have got loads of cultural references. I mean, the name Witch Fever is taken from um, William Morris's wallpaper that women at home used to like develop a condition that they used to call Witch Fever because there was um, arsenic in the wallpaper. Okay. Bitten by Witch Fever is the term. So it's almost about hysteria in women. So they know their culture. Amy's doing an MA in like horror literature. Alex loves fashion. Uh, Alicia and um, Annabelle absolutely love their equipment and they love gaming and they like skating. And it's just, there's all these points of cultural reference that fit. Sounds like I've a complete had, no-brainer. <laughs> oh my God, it's fun. You know, so if we say things like, do you want to do this? There'll be about 20 ideas and we've got a really fantastic PR person working on it at the moment as well. So shout out to Amy at Prescription because she is absolutely on fire. And when we were first talking about getting a person to to come on board and work on this, we, we sat down and spoke to her and myself and Tom had had a conversation previously. And we'd had all these ideas, you know, from, you know, lifestyle stuff through the podcast, through X, Y, and Z, through tattooing, through like sort of Instagram accounts like the London Vagabond and stuff. And she came up with them all and I was convinced she'd bugged our office. <laughs> I was like, how the hell did she know about all that? See, she's good. Yeah. So she, authenticity, authenticity is the key for an artist, I think. If they know what they want, we can amplify that. If they don't know what they want, there's no bedrock. Mm-hmm. And that foundation, if the foundation's not there, and if the self-belief's not there, and if the work ethic is not there. Yeah. You know, I mean, a lot of bands that we work with that don't have that creativity, and it'll be like, album artwork, what do you want to do? And they're like, well, oh, we don't know. What's the album title? Oh, we don't know. Do you not want to use one of the song titles or whatever? And then like photo concepts and stuff and everything is done in tandem with these lot. And it's, yeah. it's really rare. And I yeah. am, well, as you can tell, I haven't shut up about it, but I am flipping loving it. And yeah. if I was ever going to be in a band when I was a kid, that's where I would have been in. <laughs> and I'd love to say I would be Alex, but I'm not tall enough <laughs> or thin enough. But, but it, it, it yeah. sounds like, you know, quite, quite a few people, especially from a major's perspective, might start to think, oh yeah, you're just going to be looking for you know, for their social media figures and the numbers that they've already generated for themselves and things like that. Whereas actually what you discovered in that band was everything else, was just kind of yeah. from a creative perspective, they just ticked so many boxes and it doesn't matter if they already had a following or whether they were, whether they had one person. Mm. I don't, th- it sounds like that wouldn't have made a difference because everything else kind of trumps that. There is a huge culture in majors of a and by stats and algorithms. Yeah. And I get it. But, I mean, that's more for the pop world than us. But, I mean, my business is artist development, mm-hmm. really. And and because we work with people in such a hands-on fashion, we need to know about the artist and we're there to help and nurture. And, you know, we, we're, not, we're not a standard record label, really, because we do have fingers in so many pies. And we enjoy it. And, I mean, it's the sanity part of it for me is that if we can elevate someone to a great level it feels like we love being the backroom people you know what i mean i mean 
I can play the triangle and I can play chopsticks on the piano. I can sing in the shower. And that's about the extent of my talent. I can draw stick men. You know, that's about it. But I know what's good musically and I know yeah. how, to develop, to, how to develop stuff. And I know how to speak to people and build confidence in people, which is ironically something I can't do in myself, but I can do it with others. It's, it's bizarre. It's, it's really right, no, bizarre. I'm, I'm, I'm exactly the same. I can, I, can, I can give great advice to everybody apart from myself. Yep, so, absolutely. Yeah. I don't listen to advice. Really. <laughs> <laughs> What's ahead in 2022 that you can talk about that you're really we excited are, about? Well, I mean, there's loads of things we're really excited about. There's, there's a band that we're speaking to contractually at the moment that I'm very, very excited about that are from one of my favourite towns in the UK. I'll leave that to guess for people <laughs> but they're really fantastic and they're on their way and I think they've also got a great sense of self yeah. and great sense of identity and a great sense of fun okay. as well slightly political but with a great like sort of side spin to it mm -hmm. almost like a dark kind of gallows humor with it and they are really fantastic and I'm not saying they're a comedy band either no so that's one thing um we signed that band Porcupine Tree yep Stephen Wilson and uh, Richard Barbieri. I'm a huge Japan fan and lovely, lovely Gavin Harrison, Mr. King Crimson. So we're working on that right now. I mean, honestly, <clears throat> it's the, the H word again, but I have never seen a D2C pre-order go up like that in my life. Wow. So their fan base is absolutely, I mean, I can just describe it. I mean, <laughs> I was talking to my friend Blizz who runs HMV in Birmingham the other day. And I was kind of describing them as like sort of a UK tool. Yeah, yeah. And he, he described them he described them as a guitar based Taylor Swift. And you know what? He's not wrong because <laughs> we're fifty year old fans. But he's not wrong because the fan base is absolutely yeah, feverish. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's pleasure for me, it's still in the music industry now, is creating great products, right? Which is why I do find the digital world a necessary evil. We love Spotify, we, we love Amazon, we love Apple, we've got great relationships with everyone. But for me, not having something, well, that pile of vinyl there, but, but not having something that's tangible does, it, it, there's no emotional connection with it for me. And it's mm -hmm. strange, like you're saying, you've got like sort of fear inoculum and stuff like that. It's just, it's those things that are lovely. And we created these amazing formats for Porcupine Tree. And, and I'll be honest, a couple of them were like, wow, these are insane. But they fly, the formats mm -hmm. that fly are the super limited, really expensive. Yeah. And I mean, I don't, I don't mind saying it. The vinyl prices have just gone ridiculous and vinyl turnaround. But I'm 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 one of those <laughs> people. I'm one of those people. Oh yeah. Who's who you know, well, I I used to buy fifty, sixty quids worth of CDs a month. I now don't do That's that. That's why streaming is great though, because you can try before you buy though. But, I get that. But that that's Brilliant. the thing is that I listen to probably four or five hundred albums a year of, mm. of of artists that I would have never gone anywhere near when I had to buy them. But oh, yeah. then I'll go out and I'll buy a special edition coloured vinyl yeah. and things like Treat that. Yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, <clears throat> I, I got the new Every Time I Die album and then they went and split up. I know. That's a bit upsetting, isn't it? A little bit. Yeah. But, but, I mean, hilariously, talking about great formatting, I, we were down in Hastings the other week and we were just pottering down the seafront and um, a, fr a friend like sort of ran out and was like, hi, and he runs a, a record shop called Cloth and Wax inside um, a hairdresser's in Hastings. And I went in there and I was just pootling through the racks. 
And <laughs> this will make you laugh, don't I? I, I can imagine you've done this yourself. But there was this MF Doom record and the formatting on it was so amazing. <clears throat> and it was all fold out and like sort of like holographic and everything. I don't even like it. Well, I mean, I don't dislike him, but I wouldn't say I was like a, a proponent of MF Doom's fandom. Yeah. But to buy it and it was an expensive record where i was like god you're beautiful you're coming home <laughs> but, but it's but it, it, it's it's a beautiful thing isn't it i kind of i've been looking at see you know we're kind of getting rid of cds and dvds and blu-rays and stuff like that rn yeah, we, we have a finite amount of space and it's being taken up by children's accoutrements at the moment yeah. but and Lego. the yeah well that's all my stuff um <laughs> but but you know, I'm looking at like the, the CDs that I've got on my rack here, and the majority of the ones that I've kept are digipacks. There's some, there's something different about them. They're not just yeah. in this kind of plastic yeah. case. Whereas, as I said, vinyls, you don't you buy them to play them once in a while, because for the most part, you are listening to to Spotify on headphones or something like that. And then every yeah. now and again, you can put on that picture disc, or you can get it, and you can look at the thing that you've bought so it's much it's more merchandise than it is product and it, but then from your perspective you can really get creative with that and stuff. i love it i really do and i mean <clears throat> artists are always like oh we don't know what to do so we'll end up doing lovely colors and stuff like that but as soon as anybody starts talking pop-ups fold outs gate folds we're like come on <laughs> and our production department go will you lot stop it please <laughs> You're giving us a heart this is getting too expensive <laughs> yeah. Julie, thank you so much for talking to me today. I won't, I won't keep you. Um, Anytime, Danny. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I was, I was honoured to be asked, actually. Massive, massive thank you there to Julie for talking to me. It was great. I could talk to her for several more hours um, about so much stuff, about music, about bands, about heavy music, about her work in sync. Um, if I can get her back on, um, I'm definitely, definitely, definitely going to do that. Do check out Music for Nations via their website, musicfornations.co.uk. Uh, Music for Nations on Twitter, MFN Official on Instagram. And if you wanted to follow Julie herself, she's on Twitter via Julie Visible. Do check out some of the bands that we talked about. Do check out Blanket, their awesome band from Blackpool, one of my faves. Do check out Witch Fever's EP. Uh, it's incredible. And if you didn't, if you don't know of them before, um, do check out Tool, do check out Porcupine Tree and all the other stuff, the great stuff that um, she has done. Uh, the music for the pod this year is by Bloompool. Search Bloompool on Spotify and listen to all of his stuff. Uh, you can find him on Instagram at bloom.pool. And when you're searching on Instagram, search for bloom slash pool. Get in touch with me uh, via a whole host of mediums. Uh, email behind the business pod at gmail.com. 
Uh, find me on Instagram at DC Music Publishing. Find me on Twitter at Danny Champion. And if you're interested in learning a bit more about the the publishing company, uh, please go to www.dcmusicpublishing.co.uk to find out more. Uh, there's plenty more episodes to come this year, so please follow, uh, give the podcast a like, a review, tell somebody, just one person uh, that you know who might like the content that I'm putting out. It's really, really helpful uh, and share the love um, if you get the chance. Uh, thank you very much indeed for listening and I will uh, be in your ear holes another time. <laughs>